you know, as the season progresses, make sure that you're paying attention to where those shadows are, where that shade is, and move the pot if needed in order to make sure that it's getting the optimal amount of sunlight. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you, because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This is episode 11. It's our first Can You Dig It episode. And I'm hoping that you're hearing something a little bit different with the audio. Um, I'll let you in on a couple of little secrets. So when I first sort of spoke out into the universe that I was thinking about doing this podcast, um, I mentioned it one time. And my husband actually went out and researched um, different little packages for microphone setups and and you know boom um, holders for the microphone and and sound cards and all those other kinds of stuff. And he actually bought me my podcasting equipment for my uh, college graduation. And I wasn't ready to do anything with it at that point. It kind of sat in the box, uh, but it was super supportive of him to to take that and go, yes, this is what she's going to do. And he knows that I haven't been absolutely thrilled with the way the audio has been sounding. And I have been desperately trying to make the podcasting equipment that he bought me work. Uh, and we just kind of came to the realization that the microphone just wasn't working very well. He even went so far as to to build me this really cool sort of mobile um, audio booth setup um, where I can I can put up these panels while I'm recording to kind of buffer some of the sound and then take them back down again from my desk when I'm not working on on the podcast stuff. It's he's super supportive, and we just finally have swapped uh, switched out to a different microphone for now. We're still looking for a better solution. Um, but part of that perfectionism comes from the second thing that I will let you in on is uh, you probably have noticed that I have picked up the pace as far as my audio, my speaking tempo ha is concerned. I actually was trained in broadcasting um, with the at the Defense Information School while I was in the Marine Corps. That was part of my job. I was trained in radio and television broadcasting, as well as um, print journalism and uh, photojournalism and public relations and public affairs. That was my whole job. And I loved the broadcasting portion of it. But of course, you're trained a little bit differently when you're supposed to be reporting the news on the Armed Forces Radio and Television Network than for a podcast. And so in addition to that sort of tempo that I was used to. Every time you stick a microphone in front of my face, I immediately revert back to my broadcasting voice. I also, I think, was sort of influenced by this really weird um, set of circumstances around how I started listening to podcasts. I didn't really pick up on the whole podcast thing until probably a year and a half ago. So I would say 
oh, maybe mid-2019, I started listening to podcasts a little bit more regularly. Um, I was, you know, if I was working out or if I was going on a run or on a, on the treadmill, I would, uh, I would throw a podcast on rather than, um, music just to keep myself entertained. I think subconsciously when I started recording, I was sort of mimicking the tempo that my favorite podcasts were using, you know, and, and it was sort of this slow, methodical, um, sort of tempo. And the very first episode that I recorded, and once it finally posted, I quickly opened up my Spotify app, because that's where I listen to podcasts. And I went to go play to make sure that, okay, did this really publish? Was it really out there? And I was horrified, because it sounded like I was drunk or I was on some sort of a muscle relaxer or something. And I thought, oh no, it didn't sound like that on my laptop. What's the problem? What did, what happened? And, you know, I kept trying to replay it and I was thinking, okay, what's the problem? And I'm doing, you know, Google searches of, you know, what happens when you, you know, you post something to Spotify, does it slow down? And I couldn't figure it out. So, you know, I told, my husband, I said, Hey, open this up and, and play that really quick. Maybe it's my phone. Maybe it's something on my phone. And so he opened it up and it sounded just fine. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't understand what's the difference. And then as I'm looking at my app, I look down in the lower left corner and I see this 0.8 X in the corner of the podcast player. And y'all, I have been listening to every single one of my podcasts for like a year and a half on eight tenths of normal speed. I have no idea how I managed to do that. I had no idea you could even slow a podcast down, which makes sense. I mean, if you're listening to something and, you know, or you want to speed it up, I don't know. Um, I had no idea that that setting was there. And so now I'm listening to all my usual podcasts and suddenly everybody sounds very different. <laughs> they're, they're not nearly as slow and methodical uh, as I thought they were. And I think I was sort of channeling what I thought I was hearing <laughs> initially um, and, and combining that with my broadcasting voice. So anyway, I'm hoping that I can be a little bit more conversational with you um, rather than my slow, methodical broadcaster voice. I'm sure I will slip back into it, especially when I'm with, you know, technical details or whatever. But um, I'm hoping that, you know, hey, this podcast is ever evolving and I'm and I'm hoping that uh, it's getting better with age, kind of like a fine wine or a good cheese or an older woman, whatever. So anyway, we're going to jump into the first Can You Dig It episode. And with that, I'm going to have a couple of different uh, news stories that you know, revolve around either food or gardening or whatever. And, and this month, um, I don't know if anybody remembers in the middle of the summer last year, 2020, uh, hearing news stories of people getting random seeds in the mail that were had been sent from China. This happened all over. It came from across the U.S. And it was through Canada and it was in the EU. And 
everybody was, you know, these big warnings of, I don't know, I got these weird seeds and Department of Ag was going, don't open them. Don't, you know, don't plant them. In fact, there were very specific instructions. Don't open the seed packet. Don't even open the outer packaging or materials if possible. Like if you get this strange package from China, just don't open it. Uh, They wanted people to put the seed packets and all of the mailing materials into a sealable plastic bag. And they wanted to, uh, they certainly didn't want anybody to plant them. And they, you know, didn't want them to put in, to put them in the trash, which that would end up in a landfill because they could possibly sprout there because they had no idea what these seeds were. So put them in a, in a plastic bag and, and contact the, your local department of ag to get next steps. Well, I never heard anything after that about, you know, I mean, this was, was going on for about a month or so. I was constantly seeing things pop up about this and, and then I didn't ever hear any sort of resolution. So I went and looked and it and it turns out. So the Department of Ag in Florida um, actually tested a bunch of the seeds and they identified 14 different species of seeds, including mustard, cabbage, uh, morning glory. And then some of the herbs like mint, sage, rosemary, lavender, and then there were other, you know, flower seeds like hibiscus and roses, all just random seeds, nothing that was noxious, nothing that was, you know, detrimental. There are all kinds of speculation about where these seeds came from and why they were sent. But the I guess the the biggest um, or the best guess is it was all a part of a brushing scam. So a brushing scam is when someone or a company will send you free stuff in the mail or even just send you an empty package and they make it, it, it makes it seem like when in the, whatever online market they're in, like Amazon, that they've had more orders than they actually do. So they send these random packets to random people and then they post reviews for those items from these supposed verified buyers to make it seem like they have happy customers buying their products when they actually don't. I mean, I'm pretty good at spotting fake online reviews. I'm, I go through the reviews all the time and I can usually tell when a company has got, you know, 10 or 15 different reviews that really aren't actual reviews. It's somebody who is just plugging in information to make it look like they got a five-star rating. But I had no idea brushing was even a thing. So as far as they know, none of these seeds were noxious. Nothing was detrimental. They still are saying if you have them, you know, don't, don't plant them, don't throw them in the garbage, bag them up, you know, and send them into your department of ag. But yeah, random, random seeds showing up in the middle of the summer last year was was super weird and interesting. And I guess we have a sort of a of a of a solution to that. So the second story that I found um, was a six year old boy in England who found a fossil that could be as much as 488 million years old while he was digging in his family's garden. Uh, now, of course, in England, they ref- they say garden, and I don't think they use the connotation the same that- way that we do. When they say garden, they actually can be referring to just your yard, your backyard. Um, but in any case, he says, I was just digging for worms and things like pottery and bricks, and I just came across this rock, which looked a bit like a horn, and thought it could be a tooth or a claw. <laughs> so it turns out that it was actually a piece of coral which is called horn coral. Um, And the family doesn't live 
in an area that's known for having very many fossils. So everybody in the area was super excited. They actually found another fossil, I think, too, in the same garden area. So, I mean, can you imagine being six years old and you're just digging in the garden and you find some 400 plus million year old fossil in your backyard? I mean, that's kind of cool as a six-year-old. I mean, I don't know. That'd be kind of cool as a 46-year-old. We actually have one of our fields where we are constantly finding stuff. I can't tell. It looks like it may have been maybe an area where an old barn was because we're constantly finding pieces of, you know, old broken horse tack and bits of wood burning stoves and broken parts of like pickling crocks and stuff. We've collected so much stuff out of that field. We could probably piece together a wood burning stove from all the parts that we found out there. So, you know, I mean, hey, if you've ever have found anything interesting while you were uh, digging in your garden, send me an email. Let me know. I will totally share that story. I think that's kind of cool. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Okay, so on to our listener questions. So um, if you'll remember, I asked everybody to send in their gardening questions. And whatever questions I read on the air, I'm going to enter you into a drawing for a free Clyde's Garden Planner. And, uh, And don't worry if I don't read your question on the podcast right away. I'm going to keep them all in my Rolodex And if you don't know what a Rolodex is, oh, you sweet summer child, please look it up. Uh, I'm going to keep them in my Rolodex for later, and we may go ahead and and use it uh, later on. So please feel free to to send those questions in. So the first uh, person is Cara, or Kara. I'm sorry, I'm not sure which way it's pronounced. Um, Cara says... I listened to the episode on frost protection and I have a question. I usually leave for work before the sun comes up while it's still cold. Should I leave the frost cover on my plants while I'm gone for the day or should I pull them off before I leave even if it's still not above freezing? This is a good question. So if you didn't listen to it, I did um, episode eight was all about frost protection measures in the garden. But what I didn't mention was when you should actually pull those covers off. So fantastic question. Um, This is where having a weather app for an hourly forecast uh, comes in handy. If you can get a general idea of when it's going to warm to above freezing, that's going to give you a better guide for the rest of your day. So if it looks like it's going to get above freezing within the hour or so after you leave, then go ahead and uncover those plants before you go. A, a brief you know, time, um, less than an hour and a half, less than 90 minutes generally um, of really cold temperatures is not going to cause uh, permanent damage to tender plants. Um, if it's going to be fully sun and very warm later on in the day, um, absolutely uncover those plants before you leave for work. But if neither of these is true, then go ahead and leave them covered while you're gone. 
Um, if it's not going to warm up super soon after you leave, leave that cover on. If it's not going to be, you know, fully sunny and really warm later on, you can go ahead and leave them covered. If it doesn't seem like it'll warm up within an hour and so, but it's definitely going to be too warm by the time you're home, I would err on the side of keeping it covered. But as soon as you get home, check to be sure that the plants are really well watered, open them up, give them some air. So long as they're not covered with plastic, that'll cause them to literally cook in the heat. You're better off having them wilt a bit than having frost damage. Now, one way to sort of circumvent all of these issues is if you actually buy row covers. So we don't use like heavy frost blankets on our farm. We use a very thin row cover um, that's really more intended as a as an insect barrier. But we do use it as a frost cover by doubling or tripling it over to protect our plants. The good thing about this row cover is that it's breathable. And so you're not going to choke those plants out if you leave it on for too long. As a matter of fact, we use these row covers in their single layer for very long periods during the, the season to help, again, protect from insects, but also to protect from deer and, and rabbits and those sorts of things from getting in. So they're very breathable. Um, if you can get something like that, if this is a, a, a problem that you run into fairly frequently, or any other type of material that you have around the house that is breathable, a very thin sheet that you can maybe double up if you really need more protection. If it's going to let some of the, the air in, it'll let some of the heat out when it's necessary, but still provide a barrier for the fr against the frost, then uh, you're less likely to run into problems of it damaging the plants later on in the day before you get home because they've gotten too hot. So um, again, you know, basics, if it's going to be above freezing within the hour or so after you leave, absolutely go ahead and uncover it. If it's going to be really warm and full sun later on in the day, yes, uncover it. Uh, if neither of these is true, then leave it covered until you get home and then just double check to make sure that the plants are um, are rehydrated if necessary. Uh, leaving it for an entire day usually isn't going to be a major problem. Just make sure that you're giving it some breathing time in the evening when you get home. Open it up, let it air out a little bit before recovering if you're in a stretch where you're going to have a lot of frosts overnight several days in a row. So thank you. That was a good, good question, Cara. So Sasha asks, I can only grow my garden in pots on my deck and I'd love to have lots of big tomatoes. The cherry ones are fine, but I love caprese salad and burgers with tomatoes. Girl, who doesn't? Uh, I can't seem to get my tomatoes to grow well in my pots. What am I doing wrong? Okay, so first, don't say I can only grow my garden in pots because you actually probably have an advantage over some people who are growing in the ground as far as protection from, again, things like deer and, and bunnies and that sort of thing. You actually have a, a more protected culture. So it's not only grow. You have a garden. It's on your deck. It's awesome. Um, I'm going to do a whole episode on tomatoes, but I'll cover the basics of doing them in pots here really quick. Um, when it comes to full-size tomatoes in containers, the bigger the pot, the better. 
a five gallon bucket is fine. Um, 10 gallons is definitely better. And that is the perfect size for determinate uh, varieties and bush varieties of tomatoes. We'll get to that in a minute. 20 gallons, if you can get your hands on it, or if you have the space for it, is ideal for indeterminates. 10 gallons is fine for indeterminates. You just need to manage it a little bit better. Um, I would absolutely say if you can, try a fabric pot or container. Fabric pots are really beneficial for plants that have extensive root systems like tomatoes because they will naturally air prune those roots. If you've got them in plastic pots, those roots you know, are going to grow until they hit the sides of the pot. And then they're just going to continue to circle around in this sort of constricting pattern. They're going to wrap around themselves and eventually become root bound. When you have plants in fabric pots, they're ex- the roots are exposed to the air as they grow. So when they hit sort of the edge of that pot, it sort of burns the tips off of the roots and stops them from growing in that manner. Instead of sort of circling, they're going to branch and they'll just form new, shorter, more fibrous feeder roots. Because the growth is really well distributed throughout the soil volume at that point, and it's not just all along the edges of the pots, it's going to help with the plant's um, uptake of water. It's going to help it pull up more of the nutrients and make it just a stronger plant. So fabric pots um, are a really good idea for any type of growing, but specifically for ones for plants that have um, extensive root systems. It also helps too to help drain the soil of any excess moisture, especially if you have heavy rainfall, and it helps to oxygenate those roots as well. Um, just keep in mind, if you are in a cooler climate where you have a shorter growing season, the black plastic pots actually do sort of serve a practical purpose. They will hold the heat in and keep the roots a little bit warmer in the late spring, right after you transplant them. Um, So that will actually be beneficial at that point. So the next thing to keep in mind when growing tomatoes in containers is to plant them really deep when you're transplanting them. Now, this is actually a tip for growing tomatoes regardless of where you're planting them, but especially important for in containers. Tomatoes are vines, and so anywhere that that stem touches the soil, it's going to want to root. So for the strongest, healthiest plant, you're going to want to strip all of the leaves off of the bottom pretty much two-thirds of the plant before you put it in the soil. Gather that soil up around it, put it as deep in that pot as you possibly can to where you've only got about two to three inches of the top of the plant sticking out of the soil. That's going to give you a nice solid root system. And again, that's going to help with nutrient uptake, water uptake, etc. as the plant grows. Also make sure that you are using a high quality potting soil in your container and try to avoid reusing soil from previous years. I know that, you know, it's there's this temptation to go, ah, well, I don't have to replace that soil. I don't have to dump it. But, you know, reusing the soil like that is a really good way to harbor diseases. It can harbor weeds. It can harbor harbor, um, bugs that want to prey on that plant. So just try to replace your, your potting soil in that container every year. 
Um, water in your transplants really, really well when you first put them into the pot. And a good kind of method to do this is to water it really well until it, it seems like it's it's full and then let it sit for about 10 minutes and then water it again, basically up until, you know, the water is basically reaching the top of the pot and then wait another 10 minutes. Do this until you see that the water is really kind of running out the bottom. That's going to saturate that soil really well and uh, get that plant off to a really good start. Make sure that you're feeding your container plants and specifically tomatoes, but container plants in general, um, frequently, you know, the, the potting soil in most instances, you know, you've got enough nutrients in that potting soil to maybe last a plant four to six weeks, but, you know, keep an eye on the plant. Um, make sure that you're looking for signs of deficiency. If there's any leaves yellowing or anything like that, that's a good sign that you need to feed that plant right away. I generally say feed at least every two weeks, but if you're having really heavy rains or again, the plant looks like it's, you know, deficient in some way, then you may have to switch to once per week. Heavy rains or overwatering can actually uh, leach the nutrients out of that container much more quickly than the plant is able to take them up. So you'll have to feed them more frequently if you're having really heavy rains. Um, keep in mind too with tomatoes that in the early stages of growth, they like a higher amount of nitrogen, but then once they start to flower, they're going to want a higher level of phosphorus. So how do you know? If you look at your plant food, whatever you're using to fertilize your plants or feed your plants, there's those three numbers, right? Those three numbers indicate nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in that order. So when you're trying to feed your plant early on, your tomato plant, you want it to focus on good root growth and good leaf growth. And that's where nitrogen comes in. So whatever plant food you're giving them should have a higher number of those first of those three numbers. The first number should be higher than the other two. But then once they start flowering, then you want to switch to a plant food that has a higher middle number. It's also okay if you just have a general purpose one that has all three numbers that are the same, like a 10, 10, 10. They're going to do fine. But if you're really trying to fine tune the growth and you're trying to get the best that you can, then just remember that first number should be higher earlier on. And then once the plant starts flowering, then that second number should be a little bit higher. Another thing um, to keep in mind with tomatoes in containers is to make sure that you're getting at least six hours of sunlight, and that's the bare minimum. Eight hours or even 10 would be better. You'll need to pay attention to the light patterns on your patio or your porch. So in you know the earlier part of the season, maybe your trees around your back porch haven't leafed out as much. And so you have pretty much full sun wherever your containers are. But it very well may be that at some point during the day, later on in the season, it's getting shaded and it's not getting enough sun. So you know, as the season progresses, make sure that you're paying attention to where those shadows are, where that shade is, and move the pot if needed in order to make sure that it's getting the optimal amount of sunlight. Going back to watering for a second, constant, not constant, 
Consistent watering. Uh, constant watering isn't a good idea. Consistent watering, however, is a really good idea. Uh, it actually prevents um, the plant from being stunted in its growth. And blossom and rot on tomatoes is actually a major problem with containers and it comes with inconsistent watering. I know that every resource that you read is going to say, oh, blossom and rot is caused by a lack of calcium. Yes, that is true, but it's generally not because of a lack of calcium in your potting soil. Uh, it actually is a more of a lack of availability or the ability of that plant to pull the calcium. And if it's constantly wet or constantly dry or totally inconsistent, it makes it harder for it to pull that calcium up. You know, consistently watering it means checking the top three to four inches of the soil with your finger. If it feels dry, then give it a good soaking. You don't want to be watering daily if it's not necessary, right? You don't want daily shallow waterings. You want deep waterings and really only when it's needed. If you have a 10 gallon pot, you really shouldn't have to be watering daily unless you are in a very, very dry, arid climate. Um, it should be only every couple of days that you're really having to water a pot that size, even if it's in eight hours of sun a day. So don't just walk out and, and water it every single afternoon. Check to see if it's dry and then give it a good drink. The, the last thing to, con to, to take into consideration with growing full-sized tomatoes in containers specifically is whether or not you're growing determinate or indeterminate plants. So what does that mean? A determinate plant is one that basically grows to a certain size and that's it. And it will generally only have a set number of flowers for that plant. An indeterminate is your typical vining type tomato that's just going to continue growing and it's going to continue setting flowers and it's going to continue setting fruit until it finally freezes and dies, right? So determinate types are usually the best tomato plants for containers. They generally only grow about three to four feet tall and they're, they're pretty reliable and they're pretty predictable because they set their flowers and their fruits all at once. But the fact that they set all those at once also means that they only produce their fruit across about a six to eight week period. So it doesn't really give you the opportunity to enjoy them all season long if you're really a tomato lover. It's great for canning. I mean, if you if you want some for fresh eating and then you also want to can or preserve some, then determinate ones are great because you're kind of getting them all at once across that six to eight weeks and then they're sort of done. Now, you can do this in sort of a succession planting. You can actually, you know, start with one plant or two plants and let them get producing. And then if you're a seed starter, you can start a second round of a determinate type plant to replace that one when it's no longer growing. We actually do that here with a couple of different determinate varieties. I mean, since we sell at market, we need to have um, a large number of tomatoes ready all at once. So we will use determinate varieties, but we will replant them. 
you know, after about 10 to 12 weeks, we are replanting um, the next round. And so we'll do an early version and a late version of the same crop so that we're getting sort of a continuous harvest out of that variety. But that's not only really, not always really convenient for the home grower. So there are bush varieties of indeterminate plants that do continue to produce all season, but they have less of a vining habit. These are my favorite type for container growing. On the plant tags, they're often listed as determinants, but in reality, they're what we call indeterminate short internode. The internode is the space between um, each one of the leafy sections on on your plant. So this internode is shorter, which means that they're not vining as tall and as long. So they keep that determinate habit, but they continue to produce all season. So they fruit like an indeterminate. This is perfect for anybody who is growing full-size tomatoes in containers. You are still going to have to probably stake it or use a tomato cage, because they are going to continue to grow, they're just going to be more squat than um, than a regular indeterminate variety. A couple of our favorites for this are um, a better bush and bush Goliath. Um, Husky Red is another one, and that's actually one that we have planted in our greenhouse this season. And we've got um, a bunch of those plants in the greenhouse that we're hoping will pr- produce for us all season long, but they won't take up as much space because it's a dual purpose sort of greenhouse. So, um, Sasha, I hope that that answers your question fully and uh, gives everybody an idea of what it takes to grow full-size tomatoes in containers. And like I said, I I will do a full episode on nothing but tomatoes later on, and that will include uh, tips for in-the-ground growing and also container growing. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, Well, let's just say we should probably drink more water. At least we drink much better coffee these days, but it still has a military tie. We have four bags of freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans, active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments, cancel anytime, but I'm pretty sure you won't. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. Okay, so our final question this episode is from Keith. And Keith asks, the plant tags in the nursery say things like full sun or full shade, which I think are obvious, but there's also part sun and part shade. Is there a difference between these two or are they the same? You know what, Keith? I actually wondered this myself when I first started gardening. And I just kind of assumed that part sun meant more shade than sun and part shade meant more sun than shade or vice versa. 
I was sort of right in any case. <laughs> so here's what it means. Part sun generally means four to six hours of direct sunlight. It doesn't matter if it's morning sun or afternoon sun, just four to six hours. Part shade also means four to six hours of direct sunlight, but it usually indicates that the plant would do better if it was shaded in the afternoon. These plants likely don't do as well with intense afternoon sun. So part shade likes to have more shade in the afternoon. The caveat to that this is that regardless of whether it's part sun or part shade, that four to six hours of direct sunlight doesn't have to be all at once. It doesn't mean that you have to have four hours of morning sun for your part shade plants. It means that you could have three hours of morning sun and then maybe an hour in the afternoon when it comes back around again. Um, and the same thing goes with your part sun plants too. It doesn't have to be all at once. It can be totally broken up throughout the day. So, and just as a side note, yes, full sun means more than six hours. Um, and with, you know, like tomatoes, eight or more is better, but six or more is considered full sun. And then less than four is considered full shade. And just keep in mind, we're talking direct sun here, not dappled light through like a leaf canopy or something. Um, that would still be considered shade. So you want direct sun for four to six hours um, for your part sun or your part shade plants. Just know that the part shade ones are going to do better if they have some break from that intense afternoon sun. So that's it for our first Can You Dig It episode. I am going to draw a winner out of our three um, questioners. And da da da. Our winner is Cara. Cara, you get um, a free Clyde's Garden Planner. This slide tool is really cool. I'm really hoping that it'll help you in your garden. Um, I have your email address. Thank you very much. And so I'm going to go ahead and send you an email to get your mailing address for this. Um, if you, my listener, have a question, if you want to win a Clyde's Garden Planner or you just want me to uh, read your question on the air. Or again, if you want to leave me a voice message, um, I can just play your question on the air or just let me know if you don't want to hear your voice on air and I can totally just read it for you. Um, you can email me to um, grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. You can go to the website, justgrowsomethingpodcast.com and use the contact form to send me your question. Or again, you can use the link in the show notes to leave a voice message. Speaking of the website, it's been a little hinky lately. I have to find some time to actually work on it. It's not displaying the most recent episodes for some reason. So the the best way to either to get this episode is to either subscribe to it on your current podcast platform, or you can go to our uh, anchor.fm um, page for the Just Grow Something podcast, and you'll be able to find them all there. Speaking of subscribing, if you do subscribe, it'll automatically sort of download the uh, current episode into your playlist. It also actually helps with our rankings and helps other people find us if you find this, uh, this podcast helpful to you. So uh, in the meantime, 
I am so glad that you were here to listen and uh, go along with this new sort of format and the Can You Dig It episode. We'll do another one of those the very first Friday of next month. That'll be May. And yes, I am actually recording this on April Fool's Day, but it'll come out on April 2nd. So no jokes on you, I promise. In the meantime, I'm going to uh, start working on our Garden Talk Tuesday episode for next week. And I'm hoping that you are planning out your dream garden and we will talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope listening to these episodes is helping you understand more about how to grow and preserve your own food and maybe growing an awareness of food issues in general. Just remember, no matter where you live or what you have, you can absolutely grow something.